Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary and every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash bpshow. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed, my home state of Delaware becomes the first state to legalize sports betting uh, after Nevada, that is, after the Supreme Court decision. And the governor of Delaware placed the first bet, and he won. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Hey, oh, our Delaware, our beloved Delaware, good morning, hello, hello, and welcome. Welcome to the Bill Press Show. On a Wednesday, Wednesday, June 6, 2018, so good to see you today, uh, wherever you are in this great land of ours. We welcome you to the program and our celebration, not our celebration, but our uh, running through and uh, your account of the news of the day and what it all means from a progressive point of view. Yes, indeed, about as far left as you can get. Bringing you the news of the day, we'll offer our commentary, and we give you the opportunity to tell us what you think about it all. News on a lot of fronts today, President Obama, President. Oh, I keep saying that. Oh, my God, if only, if only, if only. Yes, that other guy uh, holding a great big political stunt down at the White House yesterday, which didn't fool uh, anybody. Uh, and it was great to see one of those Eagle fans who was at the White House actually take a knee during the uh, national anthem too bad uh, more people didn't do that. Lots of primaries. Eight states holding primaries yesterday. We'll bring you uh, the most interesting of the results. And uh, the House of Representatives is just three votes away from requiring and demanding, despite Paul Ryan's objections, a vote on the Dreamers program. Whoa! So much to talk about. Stay with us. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. You and I jump right into it, but first. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, did you take your vitamins this morning? Uh, I did. Well, here's the thing. A new study uh, in the Journal of American College of Cardiology says that taking your vitamins, taking your supplements, things like that, they do very little, if anything, to prevent cardiovascular disease, heart attack, stroke, or well, death take other from pills any for that. cause. And in some cases may do more harm 
than good. This, they compiled data from a host of different studies performed over the last five years. Basically say that if you're taking pills for you know, good cardiovascular health, which is a big push for a lot of vitamins, right? And uh, a lower risk of stroke and all that. There is, quote, no benefit from taking multivitamins, including vitamin C and D, beta carotene, calcium, and selenium. And in fact, there may be harm from taking supplemental niacin, vitamin B3. So think about that before you take that that vitamin this morning. Yeah, just get it straight, right? You know, right, they exactly. Changing, they keep changing the story, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Pretty soon they're going to say it's okay to smoke again. Yeah, I mean, right. Yeah, you know they keep right. <laughs> You're not supposed to do this, then you are supposed to do this. This, this. this causes cancer. This doesn't cause cancer. If you I mean, lead an otherwise healthy lifestyle, three cigarettes a day, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, speaking of mental health. Uh, do you feel Donald Trump? You're talking about well, him. yeah, in a way. Oh. Do you feel worn out by the news? Oh God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, I mean, yeah. that's an obvious yes. Well, Pew Research Center conducted a survey that uh, took place between February 22nd and March 4th, and they just released the findings, saying that seven in ten Americans feel quote worn out by the news. Feels a little low, frankly. Seventy percent of Americans. Uh, I think it's more than that. I'll tell you one too. thing: anybody who's in the news business, like we are, yeah, like all of my friends covering the White House, feel worn out by the news. Yeah, I, I actually heard from a friend of mine this morning who said he set his alarm for seven o five instead of seven o'clock uh-huh. because he doesn't want to hear the uh, the news, the five minutes of news at the top of the hour. He doesn't want to wake up. Having to listen to the news. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. By the way, part of this survey says that more Republicans than Democrats report news fatigue. So think about that next time you turn on cable news. Fake news. Fake news. (laughs) Fake This is the Bill Press Show. And in California, it is Gavin Newsom, Democrat, versus John Cox, a Republican Trumper transplanted from Illinois. Four-time loser in Illinois, now trying it to make it in California. It ain't going to happen. Get ready to say Governor Gavin Newsom. Hey, hello, everybody. Hello, hello, and welcome Welcome to the Bill Press Show. That's just one of eight states holding primaries yesterday. We'll tell you all about it. Good to see you today. And we uh, love having you on the program wherever you are in the United States of America and around the globe. You are welcome. You've got a place at the table. And we reach out to you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. and join you wherever you happen to be listening or watching this morning or following us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Watching us on television, how about that? Free Speech TV, and on the radio statewide in Indiana, Indiana Talks, and all through the greater Chicago area, all the, the great city of Chicago and the wonderful suburbs surrounding it, we salute you on WCPT. Thank you for joining us. Great lineup of guests today, Melanie Zanona. As a staff writer covering uh, all things um, political at the Hill newspaper, she'll be joining us a little bit later. Chris Blade, a colleague of mine at the White House briefings from 
I mean, sorry, not Chris Blade, Chris Johnson, who covers the White House for The Blade, a newspaper serving the LGBT community here in Washington, D.C. Uh, Chris will be along as well. And then Matt Fuller, our good friend, you know, from HuffPost, who covers Congress for HuffPost with lots to talk about. And uh, don't forget, you are part uh, those are the guests will be in studio, but you are as important as those guests wherever you happen to be uh, around the globe or in the United States of America. So send us your comments on the news. We want to hear from you on Twitter at BP Show. Uh, let's start with the primaries and start with the number one state. First of all, there were primaries in uh, those of you in these respective states. I'm not giving you any news, but primaries yesterday in Alabama, California. Iowa, Mississippi, Montana, New Jersey, New Mexico, and South Dakota. In New in Montana, Senator John Tester wasn't sure who he was going to be facing. Uh, it turns out to be the state auditor out there in Montana, a guy by the name of Matt Rosendale. Matt Rosendale, who is uh, pretty much a Trumper. He's going to be using Donald Trump's lines against John Tester. Uh, I think and I hope that John Tester will continue to be the senator from Montana. He really fits that state of Montana. He's a great, great guy. Matt Rosendale yesterday, however, saying, um, we, you know, we're going to, he's not working for the people of Montana. He takes his counsel from Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, oh, and he gives them very oh, loyal God. votes. He has Boy. forgotten about the people he represents here in Montana. There's a man who doesn't have an original idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, let's use the Nancy Pelosi line. Yeah. <clears throat> Matt, you're running for the U.S. Senate. Okay. Right. Okay. U.S. Senate. Maybe Chuck Schumer is legit. But tying him to Nancy Pelosi doesn't work, Matt. Okay, you know uh, I actually think about this a lot because these people, that, these, idiots, these people idiots. that are running for senator or governor, and they run against Nancy Pelosi. Obviously, I think it's a calculated move, but do they actually know? No, that it's a separate no. branch of government. No, that no. she works no. for. No, and you know what? Nancy Pelosi could walk into a coffee shop in Montana. Some town in Montana. I can't even think of a name of a town in Montana. Missoula. Missoula. Shout out Missoula, right. Montana. Could, yeah, sh- there it is, right? And, and nobody would recognize her. I mean, they really think. Uh, but here's his here's his bumper sticker. Matt's, Matt Rosendale's got his bumper sticker. I am not running in this race to bring home the bacon. I am running this race to slaughter the hog Ooh. of big government. There it is. Do not love that. Slaughter the hog. <laughs> no, I don't love that mm-hmm. at all. Yeah, just like Donald Trump's going to drain the swamp. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, out of New Mexico, very exciting race in New Mexico. We uh, told you uh, a couple of weeks ago we were watching this race, um, New Mexico's first congressional district, a woman by name of Deb Holland. Uh, she would be, uh, and looks like she will be, the first Native American woman to serve in the United States Congress. Uh, she won her primary big time yesterday. The educators, the environmentalists, all the folks who came together to support our campaign, I could not be prouder, and I'm so... This victory belongs to every single person in this room. Yes, indeed. Good for her. I love that she called out the educators. Yeah, yeah. Because they, they have had a year. They have had a great year, and they've been very, very active in these uh, in these primaries. Uh, but the big news was in California in two races. In the Senate race, um, Dianne Feinstein, 84 years old, pardon me, up for uh, 
re-election. Uh, she has moved pretty far left uh, for her uh, in this uh, primary, and she uh, says, you know, look, we all should grow, and we, and we all should keep an open mind, and uh, I'm not ashamed of changing my mind, and she has on two big issues, on the death penalty. She has always been for it. Now she's against it. Uh, and on the legalization of recreational marijuana, always opposed it. Now she's for it. Uh, and she did very well last night up against State Senator Kevin DeLeon, who says we need a new, younger face representing California uh, in Washington. Uh, Diane pulled out 43.9% of the vote in the primary. Kevin DeLeon will be her opponent. It'll be two Democrats on the ballot, no Republican for U.S. Senate. Kevin DeLeon, 11%. Um, pretty lopsided and uh, shows pretty clearly uh, Diane Feinstein's going to get another term in the U.S. Senate. Uh, and the governor's race, it will be not two Democrats after all, not Gavin Newsom and Antonio Villaraigosa. It will be Gavin Newsom and this loser from Illinois. Sorry, Illinois, but you're, I'm sure you're glad to get rid of him. Those of us in California, we don't want him. Uh, John Cox, businessman, he uh, ran for... Congress and lost. He ran for U.S. Senate and lost in Illinois. He ran for president of the United States from Illinois and lost. Then he moved to California. Uh, Now he is a Trumper in California. Donald Trump endorsed him, and John Cox ended up uh, getting getting a second spot on the ballot yesterday. By the way, I'm really glad that you've been talking about this uh, recently because if if you hadn't been talking about it and I had, hadn't been paying attention, it makes no sense. The California system out there, the jungle primary, which we've talked about, yeah. is so confusing. It is, to- it is totally confusing because it's all the candidates. You put them all in one basket and you vote. You just pick from them. You don't pick. It's not Republicans pick from the Republicans or Democrats from the Democrats. Everybody, everybody's up for grabs. And again, it could have been two independents right. atop the ballot or two Democrats or two Republicans. It turns out to be pretty classic Democrat and Republican. Uh, Gavin Newsom uh, pulling off with 33 point in this. Remember, <laughs> there are 27 <laughs> candidates. <laughs> Jesus. So when you say that Gavin Newsom got 33.3 percent, that's huge. When there are 27 candidates. Yeah, yeah. Um, John Cox actually got 26%. Uh, Antonio Villaraigosa, a disappointing third, down at 13.2%. Uh, Gavin Newsom last night uh, telling his supporters uh, that we are, and Gavin Newsom, very, very, very progressive, uh, campaigned for single-payer health care in California, uh, campaigned as a big anti-Trumper to continue leading the charge against Donald Trump's war on California and Jeff Sessions' war on California. Uh, Gavin Newsom saying, we're going to resist. We're also going to get things done. In politics today, everyone would agree with this. There's too much anger. Instead, we offered answers. We like to call it resistance with results. Resistance with results. And John Cox said, yeah, well, you wanted to run against me. Be careful, Gavin, because here I am. Be careful, Mr. Newsom. Be careful what you wish for. Uh, Gavin Newsom, good man. I've known him for a long time. In fact, he's been here in the studio uh, with us, um, I think, 
before he was even lieutenant governor. He used to he was a, ma- uh, a supervisor in San Francisco at one point. Um, ran for governor before, uh, and then uh, at one point I know he came in. Uh, whatever he was selling at the time. Uh, but he's been lieutenant governor for the last uh, seven and a half years. Uh, a great man from a great family. His father was a, a judge in uh, San Francisco, Bill Newsom, whom I also knew well. Uh, and remember Gavin first came to national attention, obviously mayor of San Francisco also, uh, after being supervisor, mayor of San Francisco. He first came to national attention. He came back here for... Maybe it was the very first State of the Union that George W. Bush gave, and he heard George Bush say some pretty nasty things about not recognizing same-sex marriage uh, as a nation. We couldn't do this because the Bible was against it and everything. And Gavin Newsom went back to California, went back to San Francisco, and he said by executive order from now on, San Francisco will recognize and celebrate marriage equality, same-sex marriage, first city in the nation, and we remember, and it was a really ballsy, bold thing to do, immediately challenged in the state Supreme Court, and the state Supreme Court said, nope, the mayor's right. We, we've lived a million lifetimes since that happened. Yeah, but, but you he ha- was I mean, the first. It was huge. Yeah, it was right. a groundbreaking moment for right. marriage equality in this country. Right. And a very courageous act, and uh, uh, so a good for him. Uh, and let me let me say something else about Gavin Newsom. Um you know, we've talked a lot about and kind of avoid talking about 2020, but I'm going to violate my own rule right now because a lot of us have said, and you know where I was in 2016 in the primary with Bernie versus Hillary because I thought we needed a new face. Now, that new face happened to be a 74-year-old Democratic socialist from Vermont, but he was a new face with new ideas, and he did pretty damn well. Uh, I say the same thing about 2020 that I'm not really all that excited about people who've been around a long time in Washington or about people from Washington in particular. Every time every time somebody goes through with me the names of uh, all the contenders, right, and they're all good people, don't get me wrong, I will take any one of them over Donald Trump. But when you talk about Elizabeth Warren or Cory Booker or Kirsten Gillibrand or Amy Klobuchar and you know, go down the list, right, or Bernie or... Joe Biden, any of them, right? What do they all have in common? They're, they're all from Washington, D.C. We, t- we had this conversation not that long ago. You got to, uh, I hope, you know, and I keep saying maybe somebody's going to emerge uh, who is not from Washington, D.C., maybe like a governor. That's why I mentioned Terry McAuliffe, former governor of Virginia, would fit that bill. Andrew Cuomo, we sort of dismissed because we said nobody likes him. But... Pretty soon, you're going to have a new, young, very charismatic, very articulate governor of California, Gavin Newsom. Watch. I'm telling you today, he's already on the list for 2020. Uh, And he'll deny that today. He should deny it today. (laughs) He's already on the list for 2020. And, okay, how could he possibly be elected? In 2018, and then turn around and run for president in 2020. (laughs) I remind you, I was there. I was working for Governor Jerry Brown, who at that time, in 1976, had just been elected. In 1974, he was the youngest, most charismatic, most articulate, 
most exciting, smartest politician, governor, happened to be governor, in the country. And elected in 74, Jerry Brown turned around and ran for president in 76. So I'm just saying, it's been done before, could happen again. And you know, the other thing I is- would just hope this time, my advice to my friend Gavin Newsom would be, Get in earlier than Jerry did, so your name is on the ballot in all 50 states. <laughs> yeah. Of course, the primary system has changed, but your name, be sure you get on the ballot in all 50 states if you want to win, because you got to be on the ballot. Anyway. You know, the other side of that, yes, right, he is a young, fresh, interesting face, but he's been at this for a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, no, the, the whole marriage equality thing, that was 15 years ago? Easy. Right. It was 2004. Yeah, it was yeah, 2004. So almost, governor almost now years. for seven years. Yeah. Uh, was mayor before then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like and, he's he's got a record. Yeah, and supervised. He has. Uh, you know. So uh, one other thing in California about the uh, you know there was this whole fear, and I thought it was exaggerated, really. This whole fear that because of this jungle primary, Democrats there are too many Democrats running for office, and they're all going to get locked out of these seats, and they're going to lose these congressional seats because there would be two Republicans or too many Democrats running. That didn't happen didn't happen. Now, what we don't know is, because there were so many Democrats running, we're not sure in, in several of those um, contested seats in Orange County, we're not sure who the Demo- which Democrat it's going to be. But, for example, Dana Rohrabacher's seat, we ought to be able to win that. Dana Rohrabacher got enough votes to make the runoff. There will be a Democrat running. It will not be two Republicans. There'll be a Democrat against uh, uh, Dana Rohrabacher. There will be a Democrat uh, against Mimi Walters in Orange County. There will be a Democrat up against Daryl Issa in northern San Diego County and a little bit of Orange County. So in all of those seats, uh, the dreaded Democrats getting locked out didn't happen. Uh, stay tuned because with so many uh, Democrats running, it's taken time to uh, maybe by the end of this program we'll know who some of those nominees are. But uh, they didn't have the votes uh, when we uh, started out this morning. Uh, yet, they're still counting those Democratic votes. Uh, at any rate, a very exciting night yesterday, and uh, we will be hearing uh, more and more about that. Uh, it was an exciting day down at the uh, White House yesterday uh, again. Um, <clears throat> yes, so we talked yesterday about what uh, with, with the Eagles uh, where, yes, they were invited, and the Eagles had a meeting, and they just decided they didn't want to show up for this guy. They Most of them would rather do some form of public service, uh, and um, fewer than 10 said they were going to come. So Donald Trump cancels the event, blaming the Eagles again for not loving our country, not loving the military, because uh, some of them, he said, uh, have taken a knee. Actually, the truth is no Eagle player last year. None, not one, took a knee during the national anthem. What they don't like is that Donald Trump is trying to divide the nation and beat up on professional athletes across the board for expressing their right of freedom to speak out against what they consider is an injustice it's against young black Americans and their right to protest. That, that's a big point, by the way, the fact that yeah. like the Eagles were never a team right. that took a knee. They never stayed in the locker room during the national anthem, no. despite what and Fox, certain outlets yeah. tried to paint. So Donald Trump was trying to make that point, and of course, his media outlet, Fox News, was too. Here's Jonathan Carl from ABC News explaining it. Here's where Fox got caught with egg on their faces. They took a picture 
of an Eagles player kneeling and put it out there saying, here they are showing disrespect for the flag. Those players weren't kneeling during the anthem. They were praying before the game. This can't be serious, Eagles tight end Zach Ertz tweeted. Praying before games with my teammates well before the anthem is being used for your propaganda. Fox later admitted the error and apologized. Whoa, that shows how far they had to go. That's so yeah. bad. So, so bad, right? And, of course, Donald Trump at the ceremony yesterday saying, Oh, here we are. We all love the flag. We all love the military. We all put our hand over our hearts when we sing the national anthem. We stand to honor our military and to honor our country and to remember the fallen heroes who never made it back home. Yeah, right. Uh, well, I mean, we all should do that, but that's not the point of the national anthem before a sports game, as point we've made over and over again. I thought it was funny yesterday that Sarah Huckabee Sanders called this a political stunt. You know what? That's the one time I agree with Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Right? Yeah, it it was a political stunt. It was a political stunt. It was a total political stunt pulled off by Donald Trump. By the way, the whole thing lasted a half an hour. Yeah, that was right. So he walks out. The Marine Band is there. The Marine Chorus is there. They play. They sing. The Star Spangled Banner. Donald Trump gives his little speech. Uh, interrupted by a heckler on the south lawn of the White House. And, by the way, there was one Eagle. There were very, very few Eagles fans there. These it's, re- were. It's, it's really interesting because I was watching on Twitter. There was a guy who came down from Philadelphia because a lot, sports, of, the, sports reports. A lot of the Philadelphia yeah. sports media, they, they were already down here for the big event, which was supposed to happen that got canceled yeah. by the president. And he went around and he asked because there was a, there was a crowd – at the White House for this event, a lot of people in suits, which I don't oh, know yeah. if you've ever met a no, Philadelphia no, no. Eagles fan. A, by the way, I've seen these. I've seen this <laughs> under Obama and yeah. under Trump. What they do is they go to, pardon me, the old executive office building or the Treasury Department, right? <laughs> and they just march them over. Yeah, and they say, "Hey, get out of school, kids! <laughs> you can come over to the South Lawn. We need outside. Today. We need a crowd." By the way, you can tell because when the event is over, they just march back yeah, right to their back, buildings. Right back. Yeah, right. So the sports reporter went around and he asked, I, I think he said it was 15 people that were there for the event, quote unquote Eagles fans that mm-hmm. were there. Yeah. He asked them, who is the starting quarterback <laughs> for the Philadelphia Eagles? Yeah, right. And none of them, not one, could name <laughs> the starting quarterback for oh. the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, that is too much. Yeah, exactly. About us, and one guy there who was there did take a knee on the <laughs> South Lawn. Yes, took a knee. Good for him. I don't know who he is, but good for him. Uh, and you know what? I also thought it was great that um, the Warriors and the Cavs, who were, of course, in their playoffs, uh, <clears throat> they just let it be known ahead of time. Of course, they didn't go last year either, right? Warriors. Well, remember, he, well, threw, the, oh, he canceled he that event. Fit. He, he threw did. another fit. He threw another fit, and he canceled that. He, Trump, canceled that event. LeBron James yesterday basically said, listen, first of all, he said, he's not surprised that Donald Trump did this. It's a lot of people that believe that, um, you know, that he's not for the people or you know, doing things that's right by the people. Um, so you know, that's not surprising, um, you know, hearing the news today with the Eagles. And LeBron says, don't worry. Don't even, don't even waste your time inviting us, either us or uh, the Warriors. I mean, I know no matter who wins this series, no one's 
no one wants to invite anyway, so it won't be Golden State or Cleveland going. Yeah, you know, it, it, Steph Curry and LeBron James both said, no, we're not going. No, they're, they're not going to go. Our squads are not going. And, and it's really interesting to, to note the difference between the NBA and the NFL. The NFL is very oh. clearly run by oh. the owners. Yes. They yes. have all the power. Yeah. Where the NBA, it's run by the players. Yeah. It really yeah. is run by the yeah. players. And LeBron also pointed out, it's telling that Donald Trump did not invite the WNBA champions to the White House, the Minnesota mm-hmm. Lynx. Like, they didn't mm-hmm. even get an invitation. Mm, right. Yeah. Well, Donald Trump women. Right? Yeah. But also, uh, I thought it was uh, it, uh, those NFL coach uh, owners, of course, are just total. They're all Trumpers. Cow. This thing was really going away until the NFL last week came out with this new rule, the Donald Trump rule. That if you're on the field, you have to stand or else you're going to be penalized. The th- thing would have disappeared if they hadn't kept it alive. And now Donald Trump keeping it alive even more. What I thought was significant was that the coach of the Warriors, Steve Kerr, I mean, he actually speaking out, uh, backing up the players 100%. It's not surprising. Uh, I think, um, you know, the president has made made it pretty clear he's going to try to divide us, all of us in this country, for political gain. Yeah, yeah but that's the coach speaking. Yeah, and it clearly is what's going on. You've got the so. best coach in the NBA and the best player in the NBA, Steve Kerr yeah. and LeBron James, both coming out and basically saying, "Yeah, we want Trump gone. Right. This is a disaster. Yeah, and we're not going to play this game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just a couple of other points here before we take a break. Big news yesterday from my home state of Delaware. Yes, indeed. Uh, Delaware became, remember the Supreme Court said, all, every state can do sports gambling, not just Las Vegas. As a decision about a week ago yesterday, we were wondering, we thought New Jersey might be first. Nope. <laughs> Delaware beat New Jersey to the punch yesterday, becoming the first state to make it official. Uh, our friend, uh, Governor John Carney, uh, he, was, uh, he placed the first bet he bet uh, on the Philadelphia Phillies playing the Chicago Cubs last night. He put $10 on it, and the Phillies won. All right. Yeah. I was going to ask you about this when I saw this headline. Is yeah. Delaware, is there like a, is there a gambling thing there already? I mean, there's uh, well, there's a, there's a, casinos and. I think I told you, one of my uncles was a bookie. So, <laughs> yeah, you did. So I remember, I remember his, I got my dad's gas station, my uncle would show up and, you know, everybody would be. I didn't know what was going on. Right, you know, right. You know, Passing a few bucks, right? So, <laughs> right. so there's been gambling going on for a long time in Delaware. Uh, but there was a horse, uh, um, uh, always a horse track, Delaware yeah. Delaware Park, sure. big track. And then in Dover, there was a, another track, and uh, I'm pretty sure they have slots in Dover now. I, I, I'm pretty sure they do. There's it seems like it would one be, casino, yeah, mostly because but of not the sports betting, of course. Yeah, <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Right. So. Delaware became number one. Uh, also, uh, just, just uh, jumping around, a couple of news items one you don't know about. Uh, Kelly Sadler, remember her? She was at the White House. She's the one who said, uh, we don't care what John McCain says because he's dying anyway. Uh, the White House, she never apologized for that remark. The White House never apologized, nor did the White House even criticize her for making that comment. Uh, but yesterday, in a one-sentence announcement, the White House announced that she is no longer on the job. Of course, they said it had nothing to do with her John McCain comment. Uh, but she's out of the White House. She also, if you recall, blamed her boss as one of the identified her boss, Mercedes Schlapp, Schlapp, yeah. Schlapp, as she said, one of the big leakers in the White House. And so, whatever. 
Uh, she's out the door. Still not out the door is Scott Pruitt, but, boy, he keeps trying to get himself fired. We told you yesterday about, we thought was the latest on Scott Pruitt, that he sent one of his aides to the Trump Hotel to see if they had any, <laughs> this is still so funny, used mattresses to sell. Yeah, he's looking for a mattress for his uh, for his apartment. So he goes, of course, to a five-star hotel, the Trump International Hotel. Going to use mattresses for sale. Gross. Uh, well, today's story is that he also sent an aide, maybe a different aide, maybe the same one, uh, out to help his wife land a Chick-fil-A franchise. <laughs> he, Pruitt, actually called the president of Chick-fil-A and said, can we talk? Got a little business deal I want to talk to you about. And uh, anyhow... The result was his wife did not get the Chick-fil-A franchise. But, again, it just shows you money grubbing, money grubbing. It starts at the top with Donald Trump, and it's Donnie Jr., and it's Eric, and it's Ivanka, and it's been Tom Price and David Shulkin and Ryan Zinke and Ben Carson. Drain the swamp. And number one, Scott Pruitt. Drain the swamp. Drain the swamp. Uh, and finally, yes, we know, uh, they now have a hotel where they're going to meet, the summit, in Singapore. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's on this little this island, Sentosa Island, which is off the southern shore of, uh, of Singapore, which is, from a security point of view, pretty cool because, you know, you got to take a boat to get out there. Right. That'll help kind of keep people who don't belong uh, off the island. And it's at the Capella Hotel. On Santosa Island, that's where the summit will take place. Sounds like a bargain already. It is a certainly a very rich, it's very fancy resort, uh, five star hotel, and this hotel is known because oh no, <laughs> this is perfect. Peacocks stroll the grounds. <laughs> yeah, and oh, we yeah. have the two biggest peacocks. <laughs> On the world platform, who will be strolling the grounds. Is this not... Isn't this Donald Trump... I mean, if you thought about peacocks on the world stage, Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un. Yeah. There they are. Yeah. This is super villainy. Spreading their tails and prancing around with their hairdos. Oh, man. Seriously, if you were writing a movie or a book and you had to, like... Set the scene for a couple of supervillains at oh, a oh, super yeah. meeting. Oh, yeah. It's on an island off the coast of Singapore. Right. Peacocks strutting mm. around the grounds. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> masterminds. You know, peacocks are loud, too. Oh, yeah. I used oh. to have one in my neighborhood when I was growing oh, up. Yeah. I used to roam the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they can really be a pain in the ass. They go up on yeah. the top of a tree and just. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> we had one in our neighborhood at Inverness, too, which, uh, yeah, everybody was saying, anybody got a shotgun? Yeah. Peacocks are good eating. <laughs> All right. So there you they're go. Not. They're not. <laughs> no, they're not. Hey, they're lots not. going on here. We'll, we'll keep it up with Melanie Zanona from the Hill when we come back. A quick break and stay with us for a very, very busy Wednesday, June 6th. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. All right, here we are, Wednesday, June 6th. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Welcome to the Bill Press Show. Thanks for being part of the program. We are here on our in our studio on Capitol Hill, Washington, D.C., just down the street from the United States Capitol building where Congress is back. Immigration is a big issue on the agenda, as well as trying to figure out 
how much time they're going to spend in the swamp this summer uh, during the midterm elections. Uh, Mitch McConnell would like to keep them here to make it more difficult for Senate for Democrats to win House and Senate seats. Democrats would rather be out campaigning. We'll see how that shakes down. Uh, and we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Teachers, those good men and women, teachers of America doing God's work uh, in uh, the classroom every day and making a big impact in the primary races across the country uh, yesterday. We salute them, thank them for the support of the program under President Randy Weingarten. Uh, joining us in studio from the great newspaper, The Hill, which covers everything going on in Washington, both uh, in the Congress and at the White House and throughout the federal agencies, Melanie Zanona. Hi, Melanie. Hey, thanks for having me. Nice to see you uh, again. Uh, we have been uh, stirring things up here for the last uh, half hour or more with a couple of comments. Peter? Yes, indeed. We're on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. I did the story. Uh, earlier about how people admitting that the news cycle is wearing them out. Uh, mm -hmm. We had somebody yeah. car uh, comment saying people should not admit that the news wears them out. That's what they want people to feel so that they give up. That's depressing, but might not be wrong. Uh, it, it's not just uh, there's so much bad news, but it's just there's so much news. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it, we used to have a story and then you could develop the story in different angles of the story for like a couple of days. Now, the mm -hmm. news cycle is like an hour long. If mm -hmm. that. Right? Yeah. 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 You report a story, and then before you know it, either that story has changed or something else comes up that's just as big or just as bad. Yeah. Or bigger. Yeah. Or bigger. Yeah, exactly. On the <laughs> Philadelphia Eagles not getting a celebration at the White House, uh, Matthew Naughton says, uh, Trump's anthem is me, 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 me. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> uh, and Kurt Herner oh, says, say, "Can you see me? Me, 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 <laughs> me, me, me." Uh, Kurt Herner says, "Today is the 50th anniversary of the passing of Robert F. Kennedy yeah, after winning yeah. the California primary." Yeah. I always wondered, what if? You know, everybody wonders, what if he had turned right instead of turning left? Yeah, simple as that. Yeah, uh, in the, when he finished his speech in the ballroom. I mean, I may have my directions backwards, but he started to go in one direction to shake hands, and there were so many people there. It was such a mob that others said, no, let's get out of here and and cut through the kitchen and uh, where Sirhan 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 was lying in wait. Uh, what a tragic, tragic loss in in in, in the murder of, uh, of Bobby Kennedy, who was an incredible, probably the son of the, of, of the Kennedys, and I think... I believe if he had lived, having won the California primary that night, uh, he could have won the nomination and would have been a great president of the United States. So it's a sad loss to this country. Mm -hmm. And boy, um, at the time, I was supporting Gene McCarthy in the primary only because, and that was my very first political race I was involved in, but or campaign I was ever involved in uh, as a volunteer. But uh, I did so because Kennedy... Uh, Gene was the first one to come out, Senator McCarthy, the first one to come out against the war in Vietnam, which was important to me as a young person. And then I stayed with him, even though when Bobby got in, I just stuck with the guy that, that I first signed up with. Um, but I admired Bobby Kennedy a great, great deal. But talk about a year, that 1968, when you think about it, Martin Luther King was assassinated, LBJ re resigned uh, from the presidency, announced he was not going to run again. 
you know, Gene McCarthy challenged him. You had all the protests against the war in Vietnam. You had that Chicago convention. Mm-hmm. It was a tumultuous, tumultuous year in American politics. Um, my role in that, and very much involved in politics in California and San Francisco at the time, I talk about that in my new book, if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, take a look at our website and find out all about it. Bill Press from the left, A Life in the Crossfire. Because 1968 was my uh, political baptism, uh, and was baptism by fire, for sure. Uh, so, Melanie, let's talk about today's uh, politics. Um, it, it looks like that while the Republicans tried to bury immigration as an issue Mm -hmm. this year, it won't go away. It is the issue that has cropped up once again to bite Republicans. And this is really a make or break moment facing the Republican Party when it comes to immigration. We have this discharge petition, which a group of moderates are leading, and it would force these contentious immigration votes, a really freewheeling debate that GOP leaders are really desperate to avoid, especially in a midterm election year. And they just need three more signatures. Uh, A lot of the people who have held off on signing but said they're open to it are giving leadership a little bit breathing room here. They said they're going to give them until tomorrow when there's this two-hour conference meeting scheduled. And they say, if we don't get a consensus by then, we may sign on. And then, boom, this petition is going to trigger those votes. Okay, so let's back up a little bit, just to be sure people understand. So Paul Ryan has said he does not want this issue brought to the floor, right? Well, when you ask Paul Ryan, he says, I'm committed to getting a solution to the floor that can get 218. But that is so far eluded the party and they've been unable to do that. Yeah. But it's been a year almost. I mean, Donald Trump broke up the Dreamer program or or canceled it in effect in September and threw it to Congress and said, you have until March to come up with a solution. And they didn't. Then the courts uh, stepped in and they blocked the administration from rescinding it. So that right, sort of took right, away a key right. deadline for Congress. And they obviously don't usually act unless they have to on things. But we have had countless members of Congress here in studio tell us that if there were a standalone Dreamers bill, let's just focus on that for a second, on the floor, it would pass overwhelmingly with Democratic and Republican support. And that is exactly why conservatives and leadership are so wary of allowing this free for freewheeling debate that would allow a vote on that exact bill right. because it would pass. Okay. But what has happened now in these midterms, there are some moderate Republicans who want to vote on immigration and want to vote, have cast a positive vote for the Dreamers particularly, correct? So that's why exactly. uh, a group of moderates, bipartisan group, as I, I, I believe, mm-hmm. has circulated this discharge position. So the way a discharge position works if uh, you have, you can get up to 218. That's what you need to pass a bill in the House. If you get 218 signatures, that vote will take place. There's no way the Speaker can stop it, correct? Essentially, yes. Right. It's beyond his control. Okay. So they need 218. And as you just pointed out, I just want to be sure we get it in context. People understand how it, this is huge. This is very exciting, I think. They are at 215 right now. Because uh, yesterday there were two holdout Democrats. That's right. From Texas, Filemon Vela mm-hmm. and Vicente Gonzalez, who said, okay, we're on. That's right. So now every Democrat except for one, Henry Cuellar, has signed on. Yeah. I was going to ask you. So Henry Cuellar now is the lone holdout Democrat. He's got to come on board, right? I would think so. I think maybe leadership will work something out with him to get him on board. 
Uh, especially if there's if it comes down to just one signature, there's no way Nancy Pelosi is going to be seen as preventing this from happening. Uh, they will make sure that he he signs on if they need just one more signature. Right. Okay. So if he, but if we, if we can sort of say, okay, he'll come along, then they'll get down to two, and they have, and all that would mean all Democrats on board. They need two more Republicans. That's right. And uh, and now their whole some the, those other Republicans who hadn't signed. Uh, are holding back until there's this meeting tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So this is what, what's this meeting tomorrow all about? It's a two-hour conference meeting. Their number one leadership is going to pitch their idea for a compromise bill that they think might be able to get the support of 218 Republicans, not necessarily Democrats, uh, something that the party hasn't been able to do for years and that they've been trying to do just in the last couple of weeks. Uh, any idea what it would do? Well, they said they're going to stick to the four pillars that were initially outlined by the White House. So that would be solving the DACA issue in some way, um, securing the border, ending the— Securing the border. The, Does that mean $20 million for the— it's, un, it's unclear exactly what that would mean, if it would be an actual physical border wall we've talked before, or security. You know, border security is a phrase that has a lot of different meanings right. to a lot of different people. And by, by design in some cases. Yeah, um, yeah. And then the other two pillars are ending the diversity <coughs> visa lottery program and limiting family-based migration. So they're they're trying to stick to those four pillars. I had a source tell me yesterday that on the DACA issue, they're floating the idea of a green card for dreamers, not necessarily a path to citizenship. That could but be a But the dreamers sell. don't have a path to citizenship. Right. So this would there's just no be... path to citizenship as part of the dreamers now. People claim that there is, but there's not. Right. right. And that's why they're pushing for to get them. A, the moderates are pushing to get them a special path to citizenship. But conservatives say absolutely not. And that's where it's been the the biggest sticking point for Republicans. is How do you solve that issue that unites both the conservative and the moderate wings of the Republican Party? Uh, so the future of this bill, I guess, right, or this discharge position really hinges on how successful Paul Ryan and Kevin McCarthy are tomorrow to um, convince Republicans, no, don't go that, let us take our bill, not not that exactly. open, and, free, open, freewheeling debate. And they've been making the case in some other conference meetings, closed door meetings, that they shouldn't go ahead with the discharge petition. They say it hands over the power to the minority. Uh, that this could potentially jeopardize their majority in the House if they allow these contentious votes on the House floor in an election year. So they've been slowly making the case. But Republicans who are supporting a, a solution for DACA say, we need to see the goods. We need to see what the solution is going to be. We can't wait around. So doesn't this really get back to the question about whether Paul Ryan has any juice left? It does. It certainly does. I mean, we've seen since he's announced his retirement, you know, it started with the chaplain controversy where he fired the House chaplain. Then the farm bill failed. Right, fired the House chaplain and then had to take him back. And then he was reinstated. Then the farm bill failed on the House floor. Uh, you've just seen, you know, misstep after misstep. And now it's the discharge petition. Can Ryan wrangle the troops? That's the question uh, that we're all waiting to see. But I will say McCarthy, who is supposed to be the, the next in line, has also taken a leading role in these efforts. He has been part of the negotiations to craft this bill, working with the centrists and the conservatives. Um, so it will be an interesting test of his power and whether he has enough support to take over the conference one day. Uh, and where is the so-called Freedom Caucus? Well, so Mark Meadows is also the chairman of the Freedom Caucus, has also been involved in these negotiations. Uh, they have said they support the normal pathway to citizenship, but not the special pathway to citizenship. 
no indication that they're willing to budge on that. Um, the alternative to the bill that if they can't come up with a compromise bill, the alternative would be to allow a vote on a conservative bill that the Freedom Caucus wants by Chairman Bob Goodlatte and then allow a vote on a moderate bill. But there's also questions of whether those competing factions would block each other's bills from coming to the floor. So they're, they've been at an impasse. They say they're getting closer and closer, uh, but we just have not seen the final product yet. So I guess uh, this this bill or this meeting tomorrow will show um, who, who the leader or the leaders of the House really are. Right? I think, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Who has the sway here? And it's interesting because we've seen moderate Republicans really play hardball. That's not something that they typically do. They don't usually buck leadership. A lot of these guys are closely aligned, who've signed the discharge petition are closely aligned to Ryan um, and leadership. So they're taking a, a sort of page out of the playbook from the House Freedom Caucus. Okay, assuming that this were, that, that let's say that the discharge position works and they get a vote and they vote for the for a, a standalone or whatever, but dreamers are part of it either standalone in the House to continue the program. Are, do they have the votes in the Senate? There's no indication that McConnell would take up a bill like that. He has made that very clear. The president wouldn't support a bill like that. It wouldn't get his signature. That's the next question. Right. right. So even if they are able to pass this under discharge petition, the end game is really uncertain. But last year, the Senate passed a pretty good, relatively speaking, immigration bill that went nowhere in the House. Well, right. So there is seems that there be maybe enough votes in the Senate to pass a comprehensive immigration. Well, plan. if you if you remember earlier this year, the Senate had their freewheeling debate where they allowed oh, yeah, right, a series right. of votes, yeah. but they weren't able to come to an agreement yeah, on anything. Right. So uh, they, they have also shown no indication that they would go back to that process, even if the House is able to do something. Uh, so that is really why leadership has been trying to get a bill that they think can pass both chambers and have the president's support, because they say, look, it might be uh, pointless if we just pass a House bill that's going to go nowhere. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I, I heard Mitch McConnell say the other day, yeah, I gave them what they wanted. I just let them all debate this immigration and he couldn't come up with anything. And I'm not going to do that mm-hmm. again. I'll tell you, I'm not, never going to do that again. At the same time, it seems to me it's it's awfully hard with this legislative process to just say, okay, you guys can just open up the floor. Anybody can say anything. Anybody can offer and expect anything to come out of that. It takes usually a, a longer process of right. crafting a piece of legislation, circulating it, having hearings Working on to build the consensus. Yeah, getting witnesses in, getting people on board, and then you bring it to the floor. Right. And that's why we typically see it work out that way, not the freewheeling process that the Senate did earlier this year. Right. Um, is there any other... Okay, so is there... These we're in the middle of the midterm elections right now. Is there any other issue at all that Congress is likely to try to act on uh, in order to get something done that they could either point to, run for, or run against? I think there's one issue that might have a chance, and that's the opioid issue. The House is planning to do legislation this summer to combat the opioid crisis. Obviously, President Trump made this an issue on the campaign trail when he was running in 2016. And it's something when you talk to lawmakers that their constituents are most concerned about. You have these areas where they've been addicted to opioids. Um, It's a huge problem. The death tolls are climbing, especially in some of these districts where there are competitive races. So I think that that could be a shot for Republicans to get something done. It will take bipartisan support. 
Um, but other than that, it's hard to get stuff done in election year. And Democrats don't want to give Trump and the GOP a victory that they can claim on the campaign trail. I don't think we have to worry about opioids. Isn't Kellyanne Conway going to fix that problem? <laughs> was Peter, wasn't that? Oh, yeah, sure. She's in charge of that, isn't yeah, she? she's all over it. I'm or is sure. it Jared? Well, it's probably Jared because he <laughs> has to do everything. But. Yeah, he's in charge of everything. So. <laughs> Whoa. Um, Melanie Zanona with us from The Hill. The Hill. Uh, dot com. Uh, you always hear me sing the praises of the Hill, um, if for no other reason than that they run my column on Tuesdays. Uh, and so check out uh, thehill.com for the whole archives of uh, the Bill Press columns uh, over the years, uh, last couple of years, at any rate. So um, you've also been following th- this. They're not calling this the year of the woman uh, politically, but it kind of is, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. There are record-breaking numbers on both the Democratic side and even the Republican side in terms of the number of women who are running for Congress. Uh, We've seen, especially on the left, they are energized by the president and their fear over him, as well as the Me Too movement. So you've seen now 305 women are running for the House, which is a record-breaking number. Whoa. That's a lot, right? And then on the Republican side... 305 Democrats or... Democrats. That's just Democrats. And then on the Republican side... You've also seen their numbers double. So they had around 40-something running in the last election cycle. Now you have over 100 Republican women running for the House. So this is, you know, I think on the Republican side of political calculation, they know that the path to the majority probably runs through a lot of these suburban swing districts where female educated voters and independent voters are a huge crucial voting block. So they've upped their recruitment efforts. And they also are trying to counter the what Democrats say is the gender gap between the two parties. Mm-hmm. But you're certainly right. This is the year of the woman. Um, I'm expecting to see a lot of competitive, hotly contested races involving women. So it's not just the safe seats. Yeah, it's too early to know all the results of last night's primaries. They're still counting the votes in, in several districts in California, for example, where they know it'll be a Democrat up versus the Republican incumbent. <laughs> like with Dana Rohrbacher, Dal Issa, Mimi Walters. But but we do know there there were certain significant victories for women last night out in New Mexico. That's right. Uh, we played this earlier, Peter. Uh, Debbie Holland, who would be and looks like will be the first Native American female in the Congress. Uh, that is uh, the first congressional district uh, of New Mexico, thanking particularly the teachers there who had a, a, a big role in, in, in her campaign. Uh, an interesting one down in Alabama, um, Republican incumbent. That's right, Martha Roby, Republican incumbent. Uh, she was running in the primaries, uh, but she didn't get enough to <laughs> advance her nose. She's going to be in a runoff now with another primary opponent. He used to actually be a Democrat. Right, who's running as a Republican. Who's not running as a Republican. Right, former former member, wasn't he? At, yeah. In Congress right. as a Democrat, now running as a Republican. But she, for the when the Access Hollywood tape came out and said she broke with Trump, said she, she could. She did. She was public, publicly criticized him, said he should step down. Uh, so that's on the, you know, in the primary you have her on the one side and then you have this other guy who's voted for Nancy Pelosi as speaker and was a Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a really interesting <laughs> choice for the Republican uh, primary voters. What was her uh, breaking with Trump an issue in the primary? Is this is this guy running as a Trumper? 
well, her opponent? He's not, but um, her her track record has right. certainly been brought up, and it's you know come back to haunt her a little bit. I think when she initially made those comments, you know, she was also making a calculation that that was uh, you know a smart thing to do. A lot of women were making similar comments. I don't think she was expecting to be in a tough primary race like she right. was. 1992 is the year that they did call the year of the woman. Diane Feinstein was first elected to the U.S. Senate in that year. She uh, last yesterday uh, did very well in her primary, getting 43.9% of the vote in California up against Kevin DeLeon. Hey, Melanie, great to catch up with you. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. At thehill.com. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Uh, and they call Delaware the first state, my home state, and now we know why it's the first state, because it's the first state out there yesterday to legalize sports betting outside of Las Vegas, of course, Nevada, which has always had it. And the governor of Delaware placed the first bet on the Philadelphia Phillies, and he won. <laughs> what do you say? Hello, everybody. Great to see you on a Wednesday, Wednesday, June 6th. It is the Bill Press Show. We welcome you to it, and thank you for joining us wherever you are in this great land of ours. Are reaching out to you online, on the radio, and on television, coast to coast, with all the news of the day. And uh, as always, there's a lot going on uh, in the Trump world. There is never such a thing as a slow news day. Uh, nobody knows that better than our good friend and guest here for the next half hour, covers the White House for the great newspaper, The Blade, uh, which serves the LGBT community here, uh, and not just the LGBT community here in Washington, D.C. Chris Johnson, my uh, fellow colleague down at the White House Press Corps. Hello, Chris. It's good to see you. Hey, Bill. Happy Pride. I'm glad. Yeah, happy Pride month. Right. And I'm glad that you're there every day to uh, hold their feet to the fire uh, to the extent that it's possible. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not called on by Sarah Sanders. Uh, it makes it a lot difficult, but I'm there every day making my best effort. Yeah, that's right. She doesn't call on me either, so that's <laughs> two, <laughs> that's two of us. Uh, she'll look right at you and then not call on you, right? That's, right. that's, that's, that's my story, yeah. She just, okay, uh, so we've got lots to talk about, friends, uh, on many different fronts, including a big Supreme Court decision this week. Uh, we'll get right into it and look forward to hearing from you. Send us your comments on Twitter about the news of the day and what we're talking about or not talking about. You know how to do it. Go to Twitter. At BP Show, we always say, don't leave Twitter to Donald Trump. It's your forum to Twitter at BP Show. Chris and I jump right into it with you, but first, Peter with the big this headlines of the, the day. Full court press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Want to live a healthy, long life with a very good memory? Just have more sex. 
That is a oh. recent study published in the journal Archives of Sexual Behavior. They showed that people over right, the age I'm of... on. <laughs> well, let me do the story first. You no, can turn you the headline. All you I'm, need is the I'm headline. <laughs> well, it, uh, the, here's the story. They said that people of the age of 50 can boost their short-term memory by engaging <laughs> in an active sex life. They did point out, by the way, this has nothing to do with long-term memory, just short-term memory. All right? That, 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 that's part of the study here. But they say that... Uh, so I can't remember what we did last time, but I remember what we just did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. That's really all that matters, I guess. <laughs> that's a good way to look at it, Bill. This is blushing. That's a, good, uh, <laughs> that's a good way to look at it. So there you go. I report, you decide. Right. Hey, while we're talking White House news, yesterday a very concerning story that sort of got buried in all the other craziness of the White House news. A private contractor that worked at the White House was arrested oh, while yes, he was going yes. into the White House. You might think, oh, it was probably just a small charge. Not no, a traffic not. violation. No, no, it was not yeah. a traffic violation. It was an outstanding warrant linked to an attempted murder charge. The man by the name of Martise Edwards was arrested at a security checkpoint while he was coming into the White House yesterday. It's not clear exactly what his job was. Uh, CNN reported that he was employed as a contractor for the National Security Council and that his badge didn't give him full and total access to the White House. Uh, but that is something that is a little concerning. But also, it was about three weeks ago that they discovered this or something. I mean, it was a, yeah. there was a time lapse where he was actually working on the White House grounds. While they knew about it. While they knew about yeah. it. Yeah. And one final story. Have you used it? He came in that gate that you and I use all the time, the Northwest Gate. Well, oh, wow. So that was his access gate. Into the gate. Yes. Yes. better be careful. Uh, one other quick story. These DNA services that you can do now, you do your DNA test, you do it through the mail, you send it in. Well, one of those websites that does this is MyHeritage. They announced yesterday that 92 million customer emails <laughs> have been exposed in a hacking uh, situation. So if you've used one God. of those DNA services, be careful. No privacy anymore. No. This is the Bill Press Show. And in California, it is Gavin Newsom versus John Cox, Democrat Gavin Newsom, with 33.3% um, of the vote. By the way, that's a lot when you have 27 candidates running. Uh, John Cox, Republican, will be up against Gavin Newsom. John Cox, a, a multiple, several-time political loser from Illinois who moved to California, now running for governor, getting 26% of the vote. And it is going to be Gavin Newsom who says he will continue to um, fight uh, against Donald Trump's war on California. And John Cox, who says, I will join forces with Donald Trump uh, against uh, what's been happening in California. A uh, very, very interesting race that's going to be. Hello, everybody. On this Wednesday, June 6th, probably the biggest story out of yesterday's primary in eight different states. This is the Bill Press Show. We're coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and our studio on Capitol Hill. Joining you all across this great land of ours and around the globe on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. We remind you again. Our podcast is up every day and over the weekends. You won't catch it on the weekends unless you subscribe. It doesn't cost anything when you go to the podcast. Be sure 
to sign up and be part of our team. We're also looking at you on Free Speech TV, coast to coast, and out in the greater Chicago area on the big progressive voice of Chicago, WCPT. Uh, joining us in studio from The Blade, it's WashingtonBlade.com. Covers the White House for The Blade. Uh, our good friend Chris Johnson and a colleague down at the White House briefing rooms. Hey, Chris, good to see you. Good to see you, Bill. I haven't been to the briefings as often as I uh, used to get there under Obama. Been busy with a with a new book, but I'm glad you're holding down the fort. Um, I want to talk to Let's start, though, not with the White House, with the Supreme Court. A big decision this week, but a kind of a murky decision. Let me get you a little closer to the microphone. So tell us all, this was the, the baker out in Denver. Right? right, and the Supreme Court issued a 7-2 decision in favor of this baker who was uh, asserting a First Amendment right to be able to refuse to make a custom-made wedding cake for a uh, to same-sex couples, in particular a same-sex couple that went to see him six years ago in, in 2012 uh, seeking a wedding cake for their wedding. Now, the court narrowly ruled, uh, ruled in his favor, but it was very narrow. The, the, the decision really only applies to him and for this instance, the, the, how, how can how can they make how can I heard that? But how can the Supreme Court rule that for just one person? Well, they ruled on the facts of the case instead of I, like saying deciding the issue of whether the First Amendment gives uh, this baker this right. Got it. They uh, looked at how the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. It, this is an uh, it's illegal to refuse service to people because of sexual orientation in Colorado. The Colorado Civil Rights Commission examined this case and they ruled in favor of uh, the, the gay couple, and uh, the Colorado Court of Appeals had uh, upheld that decision upon, uh, upon appeal. So the, the U.S. Supreme Court took up the case, and their ultimate decision was that the uh, Colorado Commission had a anti-religious bias uh, when examining this case. They saw some comments um, that uh, one of the commissioners made saying that uh, religion was despicable or they, uh, and can be used as, uh, as uh, is basically used as a tool for... Uh, a number of bad things ranging from slavery to, in fact, this instance of uh, anti-gay discrimination. So um, rather than, you know, our ruling like on the issue of whether or not the First Amendment gives a person a right to refuse service to, uh, to gay people, um, that the court just said, well, this, in this case, the, he didn't get a fair shot, that this commission had some sort of bias against him. Therefore, this decision is vacated and he wins. Now, I, I want to add, though, that... Uh, in addition, the Supreme Court loaded this decision with a lot of language emphasizing the importance of these non-discrimination laws, that uh, there's, 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 there's dignity, there should be dignity for LGBT people seeking uh, so, you know, uh, uh, services and, and businesses, and that having those laws in place is important. So, um, so it was not a green light for discrimination. Oh, no. And, and it was written by Anthony Kennedy, who's been very... Supportive of LGBT rights in, in on the on the court, right? And he's uh, I think Kenny also has a reputation for being sensitive to religion too. So yeah, um, and then this decision is getting a lot of mixed reactions among gay, uh, gay rights advocates. Some people think it's just uh, one end that they think it's just uh, awful that they that this maker would get a win in any capacity, and that the criticism against the commission is ridiculous because they have one commissioner make some uh, comments yeah. that this whole process yeah. should be thrown out the window, and um, uh, that was a, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her dissent. She kind of uh, uh, talked about that and how like this is just one thing, and then this whole process went forward. And now we're ruling in favor of this baker just because of right. this one thing. Um, but I mean, there's some others too who are, are saying they're really uh, 
like the fact that they uh, affir- the language and the ruling that affirmed these non-discrimination laws and that and they are emphasizing that uh, it's still uh, illegal in Colorado to refuse service to gay couples and for uh, based on their sexual orientation. Right. I I've got to say I I read parts of the opinion at any rate. The, the comments by these some of these civil service civil service commissioners or civil rights what's the group in uh, the, uh, the, civil? the Colorado Civil Rights Commission Civil yeah. Rights Commission um, they might have been harsh but one of them said that there were people people used to use the Bible to justify slavery and some people are using the Bible today to justify discrimination open open outright discrimination against gay and lesbian Americans. That's true. I mean, I've said that many times on this program, and, I, and it's it's a f- false application of religion, a false reading of the Bible for anybody who knows the Bible, in my opinion, at any rate. So I didn't think that was that, that harsh at all. But uh, So it, 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 it does mean that this issue, I guess, is not resolved, and there probably will be other cases. And that could be coming as soon as next week because there's oh, already— Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a petition before the Supreme Court right now filed by uh, uh, a florist uh, who owns Arlene's Flowers in Washington State. It's a very similar case. She's a florist in Washington State. Uh, she uh, refu- uh, refused service to a, a, a same-sex couple uh, who were, wanted to have a, uh, their wedding— uh, 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 for four wedges for her, for their wedding, yeah. and uh, so she sued. She got a similar outcome in Washington State. They say that's illegal in Washington State. Uh, that went all the way through uh, the the process there, the, the, the Washington State Supreme Court. She uh, then sought to uh, take that up with the Supreme Court. So uh, she's got a petition uh, for the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court may act on it as uh, soon as tomorrow because they're conferencing tomorrow, and we'll know about that uh, on Monday. So um, doesn't this go back? Um, doesn't this go back to Mike Pence and the pizza? Wasn't it, wasn't the pizza guy in in, in the Indianapolis right? Yeah, who didn't want to? First of all, P- Peter and I laughed about this at the time. I mean, you really want pizza at your wedding? wedding. <laughs> I mean, but okay, let's assume you do. But Mike Pence signed that religious. Liberties Act or something that it was called. Yeah, this is very it's, similar to that because he, uh, he signed it in his office, surrounded by nuns and priests. It was not a public ceremony, right? It was possibly for these, uh, yeah, uh, religious uh, individuals. Yeah, right, but it was Again, basically a, a tool for anti-LGBT discrimination. It was, and it was the same reasoning that they used mm-hmm. that their their religious beliefs said they could not. And but uh, Pence, among the homophobic people in American politics today. Mike Pence would be right at the top of the list, wouldn't he? Given well, his background, um, I mean, he's definitely gone gone uh, above and beyond in some respects, and that law is probably like the best example of that. Uh, that he, uh, this is a religious freedom law that uh, it's not a state that, that in Indiana that it would be legal for people to reserve services, uh, yeah, for, uh, based on sexual orientation. Now, I should add the caveat that with that that that's actually. The case right now, they never passed a non-discrimination law, so he was, he was signing into law a carve out for a non-existent law. But mm. the law would send a signal uh, uh, for discrimination, right. unless and also it would also if a uh, city had a uh, non-discrimination ordinance, or if a uh, public a state university had like a non-discrimination policy, that would meddle with uh, uh, their policy. So it would have some practical implications too. But so I mean, that law that he signed, that uh, law enabling discrimination, is something that. 
uh, other Republican governors had vetoed. Like in, in Arizona, uh, there was a similar situation, and there was a uh, bill that came to uh, then Governor Jan Brewer's desk, and she vetoed it. So uh, Mike Pence, however, uh, signed that into law, and that kind of put some above it. That's kind of like the, the crown jewel of his uh, right. his, uh, of, uh and, uh, and if we recall, there was such a huge backlash nationwide mm-hmm. and in Indiana that the legislature <laughs> passed uh, a law that a weaker version right. of that law, which then he signed. But still, it still allows people to discriminate if they assert their religious beliefs. It's very the fix they passed was very limited. You have to be uh, of a recognized religious organization in order to uh, exercise this right. So it would have to be like a Catholic hospital or a, a Catholic school or something like that. So, but he was forced to sign a fix to it because there was this immense pressure from uh, the media and business groups who were condemning it and. Um, and, and, and it was something that we saw similarly in Arizona, except that Mike Pence, uh, Jan Brewer saw that this is, this, con- this, uh, this uh, controversy was happening and said it doesn't, she doesn't want to get a state involved. She vetoed it. Mike Pence ignored that, and then it kept building, and then he was forced to sign a fix to the law. So it was quite right. embarrassing for him. Uh, so happy Pride, uh, happy Pride Month. What uh, are the uh, what's on schedule for the White House for uh, for uh, for Pride? Uh, <laughs> Well, um, I think it's, the schedule is pretty clear. <laughs> Meaning uh, uh, nothing? I, I, there's no... No South Lawn uh, ceremony like the Marine Band and... Uh, oh, you didn't sing see it, that they had the... Uh, singing rain- the national anthem. You didn't uh, see they had the rainbow lights lighting up the White House <laughs> like Barack Obama did after the marriage equality ruling at the Supreme Court? They didn't do that at the Trump White House? Um, that I I missed that I missed missed to have you weren't invited working at the Supreme Court decision or something. Um, the uh, the during the Obama years, uh, Democratic presidents let me say more broadly that they would issue a uh, Pride proclamation at the start of the month. Yeah, uh, I think this is a relatively new development, re- relatively recent development. I think Bill Clinton did it and started doing it in his either his uh, final or uh, or second to final year in office. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that that uh, uh, that uh, practice was discontinued under George W. Bush. Obama's back in. He issues uh, he starts issuing that Pride Proclamation at the start of the month again. Basically, just kind of celebrates uh, the occasion, recognizes right. LGBT progress, uh, things that he's done in LGBT rights, and um, you know what's what's ahead. And he did a lot. Yeah, and he there was a lot of progress. On, uh, that was he's yeah. the first gay president. I mean, you can't yeah. just, you can't. Uh, that's a very appropriate way to refer to him. And then, um, oh, and Obama also would hold a reception at the White House for yes, key leaders. Yes, yes. And they would come, and, and the president and the first lady would attend, and uh, sometimes the uh, vice president, uh, the president would make remarks. Um, so uh, they, they were, the White House, the Obama White House was very involved in pride. So there is no such reception at the Trump White House, nor is there any pride proclamation, not even a document recognizing the uh, the occasion, which is but just sort of ignore it. it right. It's just ignoring it and ignoring. Um, I mean, I've asked them. I've tried. That's, I've tried to ask Sarah Sanders either through the briefing room or yeah, any other means. Like, why is there no proclamation? Isn't there going to be? A, I mean, it would just be a, a document after all. Um, and uh, they just basically have nothing on it. it. Well, first of all, Trump is not known as a. I mean. He, as an anti-gay crusader, right? I mean, well, New, New York as a developer. I mean, unless you know something that I don't know, I sort of he's not. I will agree with that characterization, but would, what? I, I would agree with that reputation. Yeah, but um, there's certain things that are happening. 
that his administration has done that would, would kind of uh, 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 contradict that. I mean, if you think of the fact that he, yeah, and, like and a lot of this is, is coming out is not is definitely the anti-LGBT policy from the Trump administration is definitely more focused on the T, that it's basically on, on transgender people. And yeah, that yeah, um, uh, right. when we're talking about the stuff that he's doing, it's- In the military, it's, right? Uh, that's the big one, the transgender military ban that he announced via Twitter in July. Mm-hmm. Transgender people aren't gonna be served in any capacity. Uh, and then that was filed up with a uh, recommendation from uh, DOD uh, with a lot of junk science against transgender people in the military. Yeah. And uh, that's fortunately been enjoined by the courts, but that litigation continues. Does he have, um, are there any op- openly gay um, members of the administration in yes. top top jobs? Yes. The, uh, 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 one, uh, the most high-profile openly gay person is the ambassador to Germany. I just confirmed about well, a month ago. I wouldn't call that. Uh, top person in the administration, with all due respect. Uh, well, I mean, okay, this is what he's got. This, the okay. ambassador right. of Germany is openly Ambas- gay, and this is a guy who's in trouble for making all these politically yes. stupid comments. In Germany. <laughs> yeah, the openly gay person is someone that is uh, 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 was uh, under fire for saying he was going to help conservative. He's an yeah. odd duck, Richard Grinnell, and um, uh, he's uh, and there's calls in the uh, Germany now for him to right. Uh, People in Germany are saying, "Take this guy home." Yeah, exactly. And right. even that's even calls from that. Even Senator Shaheen uh, said that she should uh, <clears throat> Trump should recall him if these political statements right. continue. But in the White House, among t- Trump's top top aides or in the communications department, there's I'm no. not I'm not aware of any openly gay person in there. And I, I think there might certainly not a senior person. There might be some in the lower uh, lower levels, but uh, that. We wouldn't hear too much from uh, that. And no thing. plans for any pride reception or oh, proclamation like that, no. or anything. So you say you've, um, uh, you have uh, uh, tried to raise this question for uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I want to ask you about uh, the briefings. Yesterday, uh, she got very, very defensive mm-hmm. uh, when people were following up on the day before where they were trying to say, hey, Sarah, you know, you told us the president did not dictate this memo on the Air Force One. Now... The president's attorney writes a letter saying, yes, he dictated the memo, but you can't accuse him of obstruction of justice. So did you tell us the truth or not? She wouldn't answer that question at all. She just said, ask the outside attorneys. I'm not going to comment. I'm not going to comment. So, and this, this is something that she has said. I mean, this is, these are her own words from August. Yeah, this is, yeah, uh, so right. the, the question is just whether or not that what she said is she stands by it. Is it exact, is exact right? And then raises the question of whether or not we can believe anything you say, which sort of came up yesterday, and mm-hmm. here she she goes out, as she uh, typically does, attacking the people who are sitting there. Stop tearing me down. I think that if you spent a little bit more time reporting the news instead of trying to tear me down, you might actually see that we're working hard trying to provide you good information and trying to provide that same good information to the American people. So is that what it's all about when you ask a tough question? Is that what you're doing? You're trying to tear her down? Oh, uh, that's a consistent theme from her. I mean, if she, if she it's... There's this constant defensiveness, constant hostility towards the media in the briefing room, um, and uh, it's if it's, it's if it's any degree of challenge. I mean, this is a should be a simple question: whether or not what she said is is still uh, she stands by it is still accurate. But she just wouldn't answer that, and she didn't. And true to form, she's just very defensive. Uh, and will not allow anybody a follow up question. Right. Well, I mean, you have to really work first, for it. First of all, she doesn't answer the question, but then, so then, obviously, if you want to come back and follow up and say, no, you didn't answer the question, then she just moves right on to somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, but she insisted yesterday again, again, it was so, as you say, so, so defensive um, that uh, nobody, nobody uh, can say I'm not an honest person. Well, the line that I loved. Um, let's listen to her, right? I work day in, day out, uh, and I believe, frankly, with the majority of you here in the room, I think you all know I'm an honest person who works extremely hard to provide you with accurate information at all times. Yeah, I think a lot of people question that, but right. And, and the line that that that, uh, also yeah. I, that I liked that she said yesterday was, uh, frankly, I think my credibility is probably higher than the media's. I mean, which I think uh, <coughs> again, taking a situation where she's not using answer a question and using that to right. uh, uh, be hostile uh, uh, towards uh, 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 towards the press. In fact, here she is. Frankly, I think my credibility is probably higher than the media's. And I think that in large part, that's because you guys spend more of your time focused on attacking the president instead of reporting the news. Yeah, I mean, that's a constant theme, right? That That's all we do. Attack the president, attack the president. Reporting the news. Mm-hmm. And unless it's glowingly um, you know, supportive of or praising the president, they consider it hostile attacking. This is a simple thing. We have the uh, attorney saying one thing, uh, Sarah saying something else, which is the which is right. Yeah. And who do we believe? And right. how can we believe right yet the president for a year they've been saying he had nothing to do with that memo on Air Force 1. Mm-hmm. May not be the biggest news story of all time, but it's a pretty uh obvious contra- total contradiction to what they've been saying for a year and a legitimate question. So here's the question that I uh, and um, that I ask is, so we're, we're members of the White House uh, Correspondents Association, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. We both have a hard pass. We both can go the breedings. You go a lot more than I do. Um, when she pulls this thing, when she'll, whoever it is, John Carl or Joan Costa or Peter Alexander or whoever, Mar- Marliza, and she ask, they ask one question and then she won't take a follow-up and she goes to the next person, Right. Why doesn't the next person then just refuse to to uh, answer or to ask a question or say no? Ask answer that question first, please, or ask the same question. I, it seems to me that collectively the White House press corps lets her get away with this. I, you I hear think, what I'm saying? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I've seen some exceptions to that where a like, reporter will like just kind of yield and then wait for the uh, person to be yeah. done with their line of questioning. But I have noticed that, too, where somebody just kind of, like, jump in and they kind of go on their own line of topics. And it kind of mm-hmm. does work for her advantage because then they, they uh, play they play the, they lo- they play the game with her, right? right? Uh, I understand they all want their airtime. They all want their TV time. They all want to get their question in. But I think they are, um, um, uh, uh, you know, what's, what's the, word? <laughs> the word? They're they're letting her get away with it. Yeah, you know, they're basically associating herself with that tactic. Uh, and most of them will just immediately, yeah, oh, yeah, go on, mm-hmm. even though she's obviously trying to duck and get away. I mean, to be fair, I mean, there were a lot of good que- uh, uh, questions. Like, yesterday was a good example. The, the, the press corps was really uh, uh, pressing her on this issue, trying to get clarification. And yeah. um, even though there was, like, uh, it wasn't a very unified effort. That, that you, know, it'd be, uh-huh. uh, you know, we got a lot of different reporters asking her about this uh uh, this discrepancy, and then why should we continue to leave the White House if uh, uh, if you're going to give us uh, contradictory or maybe even false information? So right. Um, so how often does she call on you? I mean, I got a question since January. Not since January. Mm-hmm. Have you talked to her about it? Mm-hmm. And um, 
Well, she's always said, oh, I'll, I'll, uh, I've gotten different responses uh, on this. She says, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't gotten to you. I'll, I'll call on you next time. And she doesn't call on me the next time. So, and then I've, uh, I, I've, I've talked about this before, and she just says, oh, I'm, it's very overwhelmed with everybody in the briefing room, and uh, there's just so many people I have to get to, and uh, so many uh, um, uh, some reporters in there. And Now, keep in mind that this she is a She calls on the same people all the people time. Every John Gizzi, who is day. you know is um, I who I personally actually like because he's from, a, he's from a conservative outlet Newsmax. He gets a question in there every day, every to, single day. Yeah, you and, know, I, I was just reminded. Remember when Spicer brought in like the um, the TV oh. screen so that people who couldn't actually be in the briefing yeah, would be right. able to oh, ask yeah. questions? Yeah, yeah. that, that was died a, off. That was a bomb. That yeah. was the dumbest ass th- thing. Waste total waste of time. There were a couple of questions I liked from those those videos, but definitely I thought they were definitely served as a way to as a distraction, and like and some of them were being uh, or like obvious plants, like you know why isn't Trump doing his yeah his uh building the wall or that kind of stuff. So I mean it was uh, it was uh, they were definitely a little more favorable. So do you find that the breeding briefings are still worthwhile? And should there still be White House briefings? So yes, I've definitely. Had... I, I think they're actually very productive because when the administration goes out <laughs> there, won't answer questions, uh, is defensive, is hostile, uh, that is shown to the American public, and so that, that and uh, that helps inform them about what's going on with their government. So because uh, I talked to a top a White House reporter the other day, I won't mention his name. Uh, you know him. I know him. And uh, he said, "I don't. I, I think we ought to just cancel the briefings. They're so bad anymore. I think we ought to just cancel the briefings." I disagree uh, with that because I just think that by showing them how you know hostile they are, how defensive they are, how they won't answer questions. I mean, this is uh, the American public's window to the inner workings of the administration. I think that that should be revealed to uh, the uh, to the people. Even if you go in there, she doesn't answer questions. I mean, and then. She's defensive, and then the, the, the whole world can see that, and they'll be held accountable. Uh, I think she's one of the most effective propagandists uh, that we've ever seen. But wouldn't you agree also that she's exactly what Donald Trump wants in a press secretary? Oh, I think so, yeah. She uh, has a way to uh, dead in a room. Like, I, mean, she, I mean, there's always – every day there's some, there's some controversy going in there, and she has a way of uh, – doesn't doesn't say anything really to the I mean, no. unhelpful. And it's uh, almost how dare you ask me about that? Right. Yeah, she's a, she's a way to uh, she, she's very effective at as a as a uh, as as kind of the the, the uh, projection of uh, President Trump and how he wants to handle the press. Right. So uh, just one final thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, so former Democratic state chair of California uh, with all the primaries yesterday, most attention probably on the state of California. Uh, and the governor's race in California, above all, Gavin Newsom, the Democratic uh, candidate for, will be, the, the, is now the Democratic candidate for mayor. Um, I've known Gavin for a long time. The uh, nation really first got to know Gavin Newsom as mayor of San Francisco mm-hmm. uh, when he very boldly um, went to San Francisco after hearing George W. Bush say we can never allow same-sex marriage in this country. And Gavin Newsom, as mayor of San Francisco, went back to San Francisco and said... Will be the first city in the nation to do so. Right, and that was a controversial decision back in two thousand four. Yeah, um, and he was considered completely uh, like uh, uh, acting on uh, questionable legal grounds, and and also it was in two thousand four, right during the uh, uh, re-election campaign, and a lot of Democrats were mad at him. They thought mm-hmm. that they were uh, he was a 
that jeopardizing the uh, uh, parties, the, the, chances. the chances of re- yeah. beating Bush in 2004. And um, uh, I, there are some people who have different thoughts on whether that actually uh, played into Kerry's loss. But. I, uh, yeah, I don't think so at all. But it certainly, I think, shows Gavin Newsom as a— Right, and now he's uh, a— he's a, he's a, uh, It's a very bold, courageous thing to do at the time. Yeah, the court, definitely. The courts upheld him and— uh, Oh, no, they didn't upheld him. They said he did not have oh, authority. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm sorry. That they then, had, He didn't but, have the authority to give out licenses. But did come but back later. The, the process came forward, yeah. and, uh, I mean, California got marriage equality. Yeah. Fortunately, all those marriages were invalid, but— um, uh, but they happened. They happened, yeah. <laughs> and they were glorious celebrations, too, on the steps of City Hall uh, at the time. But I think, you know, Gavin Newsom deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah, and now he's been – that the, that controversy, mm-hmm. the, uh, the yeah. uh, controversy at the time has just died down, the fact that he is now uh, much more uh, – very mainstream in California, and he's now the Democratic uh, nominee for, for governor out there. So um, – uh, and you can be sure, as governor of California, he will sign a pride declama- uh, proclamation. I, I, I'm betting that's going to be his priority come the start of June. All right. Hey, Chris, it's so good to see you. Thanks good so much you, for Bill. coming in. You can follow Chris and uh, all of his good colleagues at the Washington Blade. Great little newspaper at WashingtonBlade.com. When we come back, uh, Congress is back in town. Uh, up to no good, of course. Matt Fuller from HuffPost will tell us all about it. Uh, quick break. We'll be right back on this Wednesday edition of the Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, how about it? On Wednesday, June 6th, here we go. The Bill Press Show. We are in our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill right here in Washington, D.C., just down the street from the United States Capitol Building where a uh, big meeting Tomorrow, where Paul Ryan is going to try to hold off a little group of rebellious Republicans who are insisting on a vote on the Dreamers program to okay the Dreamers program uh, before the primaries actually get underway or before the certainly before the general election. Uh, and Paul Ryan holding a meeting tomorrow to try to hold that off. We'll see how that goes. Just one of the stories we're following uh, today on the program. Where we're brought to you today by the International Association of Sheet Metal, Rail, Air, and Transportation Workers. All together, they call it the, look at the acronym, the SMART Union, under President Joseph Sellers. Good men and women of the SMART Union, giving a fair day's work for a fair day's pay. Check out their website at smart-union.org. Well, yesterday was primary day. Boy, was it ever in eight different states. Impossible to bring you up to date on every race in every state. But primaries held in Alabama, Iowa, Mississippi, Montana, New Jersey, New Mexico, South Dakota, and especially the great state of California, which has been getting most of the attention. Uh, A couple of other races worth uh, noting. There was some some big concern about or question about who would end up running against uh, Senator John Tester in who's up for re-election in Montana. Uh, that turns out to be the state auditor of Montana, Matt Rosendale. Uh, Matt Rosendale yesterday, uh, he says uh, in his victory speech, "Well, here's how we're gonna." Beat John Tester, we're going to make him a tool of Nancy Pelosi. 
He takes his counsel from Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, and he gives them very loyal votes. He has forgotten about the people he represents here in Montana. Yep, uh, and uh, Rosendale, he's trying hard here to get a, come up with a slogan, uh, bumper sticker. And here, I guess we got one. I am not running in this race to bring home the bacon. I am running this race to slaughter the hog of big government. <laughs> God. Count on me. Slaughter the hog. Well, at least he didn't say drain the swamp. I guess that's, uh, we don't believe that one uh, anymore either. Out uh, in New Mexico, interesting race, one that we've been following, uh, Deb Holland. Oh, you know what, Peter? We have to check on that uh, New York race to Dan Donovan versus. Oh no, they didn't have a primary yesterday, not yet. Okay, that's still that one we talked about last weekend on on um, on. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The podcast. Stay tuned, Michael Grimm. About Michael Grimm up against Dan Donovan. Last yeah. time I checked, so they didn't have a primary yesterday. Last time I checked, he Grimm, the felon, <laughs> uh, just out of prison. Is 10 points, a former member of Congress who wants to get the job back, is 10 points ahead of Dan Donovan, the incumbent Republican, who has been endorsed by Donald Trump up in New York. Okay, we'll get into that whenever that happens. But uh, starting to mention out, uh, a race we've been following out in uh, New Mexico, the first congressional district of New Mexico, Deb Holland, uh, the first Native, looks like she will be the first Native American woman ever to serve in the Congress. She won handily yesterday, thanking her supporters, including all the teachers who are out there walking precincts for her. The educators, the environmentalists, all the folks who came together to support our campaign, I could not be prouder, and I'm so, this victory belongs to every single person in this room. All right, there it is, Deb Holland from New Mexico. Uh, Look forward to seeing her here in the United States Congress. And out in California, uh, let's start the bottom, work our way to the top on the congressional districts. It was very interesting, you know, um, and we've talked a lot about this with uh, several of our guests. People were afraid that there were, um, there was so much, California is such a blue state, and there's so much enthusiasm and so much energy on the Democratic side that the fear was that there were so many Democrats running that they would bust up the vote so badly that in these key congressional seats where Democrats have a chance, particularly in Orange County, of picking up some seats, because the Democrats would bust up the vote, we would end up with, because of the jungle primary again, two Republicans in these districts and not one Republican versus one Democrat. Uh, did not happen. That fear was um, exaggerated. Uh, we don't know necessarily who the Democratic candidates are going to be, but in those key districts down there, uh, Dana Rohrbacher's district for one, which is uh, California 48, I believe. Yes, 48. Dana Rohrbacher uh, incumbent, very vulnerable, uh, lots of Russian connections. Uh, he will be the Republican nominee. There will be a Democrat running against him. There will be a Democrat, we're not sure which one yet, running against Amimi Walters. There will be a Democrat, not sure which one yet, running against Daryl Issa. Uh, so still a good chance, and a Democrat 
uh, in the district uh, formerly held by Ed Royce, who is retiring at the end of this year. So good chance still for Democrats to pick up uh, three, four, five congressional seats in California, which goes a long way toward winning the 23 they need to take back the House. Uh, in the United States Senate primary, Senator Dianne Feinstein up for re-election at the ripe old age of 84. Uh, she had a very good night last night winning, this is the in the, in the primary, 43.9% of the vote. Her opponent will be another Democrat, the state Senate leader, Kevin DeLeon, who came in with 11% of the vote. DeLeon, younger, his message, of course, is uh, she's been there, a good senator, but been there long enough. We need somebody younger and fresher with new ideas. In the Senate, uh, Democrats in California said we're pretty happy with Dianne Feinstein, and it looks like that's the way it will be in November as well. And on the governor's race, somewhat of a surprise, but it will not be two Democrats at the top of the ticket after all. It will be a Democrat and Republican Democrat Gavin Newsom uh, up against Republican John Cox. Uh, Gavin Newsom with this, again, jungle is the right word for it, primary. 27 candidates, I've told you, I voted on it. I had to pick my way through to find the one I wanted to vote for. Out of the 27 candidates, Gavin Newsom ending up with a very, very solid 33.3% of the vote. Uh, we knew Newsom would be one of the two candidates in the general. The only question was, would he be up against a Democrat or a Republican? He's up against John Cox, Republican from Illinois with 26% of the vote. Gavin Newsom, the uh, Democratic challenger, came in with a disappointing, what was it, 13.2%. Villaraigosa. Villaraigosa uh, got the 13%. I, yeah, sorry. Antonio. Newsom, Newsom actually led the field. Sorry. Yeah. Antonio right. Villaraigosa. Uh, uh, former mayor of Los Angeles at 13.2%. Again, I mentioned this before, but like I, I would have never been able to figure this out if you <laughs> well, hadn't explained it and talked about it. It's hard enough if you vote in California to figure it but, out. But yeah. just, just, I mean, we've talked about this some, but why have it like that? What is the purpose? What's the point? The purpose is um, to allege purpose, right? Right, it right. is to um, reduce partisanship. So people in the primary, again, you have a list of 27, and it could end up being two Republicans. It's just the top two, regardless of party, end up in the general. So you're not necessarily just voting for the Republican or the Democrat. You're voting, but and and so it could end up being whoever the two top vote-getters are, an independent and a Democrat, two Republicans, two Democrats, two independents, any combination of the above. And this turned out to be, uh, again, in a sort of a classic Democrat versus Republican. But I don't know if they've paid attention to the headlines recently, but partisanship, I would say, is at an all-time high. <laughs> well, this became very partisan in the sense that uh, a different kind may be a partisanship. Gavin Newsom wanted to run against John Cox. So his people were not only running ads for Gavin Newsom, they were running ads for John Cox. Uh, That's amazing. Uh, Antonio Villaraigosa, who wanted to run against Gavin Newsom, didn't want John Cox to win. 
So Antonio Villaraigosa supporters were running ads for three other Republicans to take votes away from John Cox so Antonio could squeeze in and be the number two. Uh, it, just, it, it was it was civil war, sort of, in California. But what's, this is going to be a very, very interesting um, uh, contest now because um, we know that Donald Trump has declared war on California uh, over sanctuary cities, over new car standards, over immigration, over what happens with ICE. I mean, the whole thing across the board, all the environmental stuff. He wants to drill off the coast of California. Uh, Jerry Brown... At, he pulled out the climate change, doesn't want anything to do about climate change. Uh, Jerry Brown has been the leader of the opposition to Donald Trump on many issues. Uh, Gavin Newsom says, that's my agenda. I will continue that fight. I will be, he said last night, I will be heading the resistance, but a different kind of resistance, a resistance that gets things done. In politics today, everyone would agree with this. There's too much anger. Instead, we offered answers. We like to call it resistance with results. Hey, did Jerry Brown endorse? Oh yeah, and this he endorsed Gavin Newsom. Yes. right? yeah, that's what yes. I thought. Well, it's it, to that point. It's it's so interesting because the way that politics seem to be working now is on the state level, they're sort of establishing how they want to run each state as sort of their own sovereign thing. And if the if Trump wants to come after him, come on and come get yeah, us. And right. Jerry Brown, I think, has led that fight. He has led that fight, right? Uh, and like on the cafe standards, for example, there's some 15 other states, I think, who've said with California, no, we like these new car standards the way they are, 55 miles uh, per gallon, you know, in 2020 or whenever it is, or 2025, and we're going to stick with California on those new car standards. Uh, on the other hand, John Cox is a total trumper. By the way, he's also a total loser. I keep pointing this out. John Cox is not from California. He's from Illinois. Nothing. Love the state of Illinois. I'm just saying he's a loser from Illinois. Uh, he's he's sort of remember Alan Keyes. Look, there's a name from the past. Alan Keyes, who was from Maryland and ran for president from Maryland. He had some held some position in Maryland. He's totally yeah. insane. He's insane over the place. Yeah. <laughs> and Alan Keyes left Maryland and went to Illinois and registered in Illinois, and then ran for U.S. Senate in Illinois against Barack Obama. How'd that work out? Yeah, right. So John Cox is just sort of uh, the latest version of Alan Keyes. He's the Californian Alan Keyes. He comes from Illinois, ran for Congress, and lost. Ran for U.S. Senate against Barack Obama, and lost in the primary, in the Republican primary. And then he actually ran for president in 2008. President of the United States. I, you know, it's so funny. You've mixed that a couple times. I still don't know what the guy looks like. I I don't remember that at all. Yeah. He looks like a Republican. <laughs> yeah, uh, no more. And so then he moved to California. Now he is the Republican nominee for governor. And he is a 100% Trumper. So he says, I'm going to lead the Trump war against California uh, as your governor uh, by the California Republican Party today is in third place in California. Democrats, independents, and now Republicans. So I don't think there's much of a chance, if any chance at all, that John Cox will be the governor. But Donald Trump did support him. Uh, and having him on the ballot will help get Republicans out in the, uh, in the general election. Uh, there's, no, there's no doubt about it. Um, that's the, uh, that's the, the, the lineup in California. Uh, <coughs> I 
I want to make a point I made a little bit earlier here, not to not to um, make waves. Well, why not make waves? Is um, the, Gavin Newsom's first challenge, of course, now is general election, winning big, showing that California is going to remain strong against Donald Trump. But you watch. Take take it from here. You heard it here first. When people start talking from, from now on, when people talk about 2020 and which Democrat we should be looking at for 2020, and they go down that list, and it's a long list already, Gavin Newsom will be on that list, and he'll be near the top of that list. Because what a lot of people are looking for is somebody who is younger, who has new ideas, who is a really bold progressive, and does not come from Washington, D.C. And the one thing I think that's a um, an anchor around the neck of any of the people that we've been talking about so far whether it's Cory Booker or Elizabeth Warren or even Bernie Sanders or Kirsten Gillibrand or Amy Klobuchar or Joe Biden or any of them, all Washington, D.C. And both parties do better when you get somebody fresh, exciting, outside of Washington, D.C., and maybe even a governor. Uh, And as I mentioned yesterday, you might think 2020 would be too early for a guy who was just elected in 2018 Uh, I remind you that Jerry Brown was elected in 1974 and ran for president in 1976. You have to wait around a long time. Uh, So Gavin Newsom will definitely be on that on that list and should be. By the way, uh, we're on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Just one quick comment uh, from one of our uh, frequent tweeters just says, Mm -hmm. California, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, keep it going. Absolutely. Uh, Part of uh, the resistance. Um, Another big story today is, um, or (laughs) that happened, actually, it's still a story today. But yesterday, the big phony political stunt. That's what uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders called it. What happened at the White House yesterday, political stunt. It was a political stunt called, organized, engineered by TV producer Donald Trump at the White House. Yep. It looked beautiful. They lined up the Marine Band. They lined up the Army Chorus, uh, all in uniform, uh, and all the flags, and they played the Star Spangled Banner. They played God Bless America, which uh, Donald Trump didn't seem to know the words to. Uh, <laughs> and he gave his normal uh, little thing about, here's where why we're here. We're all here to celebrate the military because that's what the national anthem is all about. We stand to honor our military and to honor our country. And to remember the fallen heroes who never made it back home. It was, of course, supposed to be uh, a celebration of the uh, championship uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, The problem is the Eagles don't like what Donald Trump is uh, trying to do to divide professional athletes and to make a great big issue out of the national anthem uh, and to attack particularly African-American NFL players. And so... Given the choice to all the coaches and players and team of the Eagles, and P- Peter, you probably honest, that's over a hundred people, right? Oh, Easy. it's huge staff. If you're talking about players and coaches and all that stuff, yeah. yeah. And they're all huge. invited. And they had a meeting and said, "Okay, what do you want to do?" Give this invitation to the White House, and fewer than ten of that crowd said they'd like to go to the White House. And so the Eagles let the White House know. We're still coming, but there won't be as many people as you might expect. 
At which time Donald Trump gets pissed off, of course, and canceled the whole event, the Eagles event, and then turned it into this mock celebration. That would have been unlike anything that we have ever seen. Because if you look at past years, right, Mm. the Patriots have been a couple of times. They went a couple of times uh, in the last 10 years after they won the Super Bowl. And somebody showed their their delegation that they had last year, which was a a large chunk of the team. It was a big group. Yeah. But it was nothing compared to the group that was there a couple years before when they came when Barack Obama was president and they had players going up the stairs. Oh, right. I mean, it was huge. Right. And then it was definitely scaled down last year when they came to visit the Trump White House. And it was going to be, I mean, six players for the Eagles. So now we get to this point where, like, who is going to go to the White House after they do these things? And would the White House even continue to do this? They had the NASCAR Cup winner a couple of weeks well, ago. Right, yeah. Shock. Shock, yeah. Well, I'll tell, you what, I'll tell you who's not going to go. The NBA players will not be going there. Yesterday, um, both uh, Steph Curry from the Warriors and uh, LeBron James from the Cavs said, um, doesn't matter which, of, which one of us wins, neither squad is going to pardon me, go to the White House. Don't even bother inviting us. Uh, LeBron James saying um, we can't agree with what this president is doing. I mean, I know no matter who wins this series, no one's no one wants to invite anyway. So it won't be Golden State or Cleveland going. Uh, best player uh, maybe ever, right? Maybe one of the certainly one of the best coaches ever. Steve Kerr of the Warriors said uh, we don't like the way he's trying to divide America. It's not surprising. Uh, I think um, you know the president has made. Made it pretty clear he's going to try to divide us, all of us in this country, for political gain. Uh, at the ceremony yesterday, while they were playing the national anthem, there was one uh, Eagles fan who took a knee. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I love it. On the South Lawn. Uh, and there was another one who, a heckler, who shouted out, Stop trying to use the Eagles, I think, uh, as a political tool or something like that. But at any rate, it was not a, uh, uh, a unanimous, unanimously supportive crowd. Uh, at the White House. Uh, I thought the best take on it was um, Dana Milbank in the Washington Post this morning. The headline on his column is, uh, no eagles, but one big turkey (laughs) on the South Lawn yesterday. Uh, Yes, it was. And this is a day uh, to commemorate um, and to remember the loss of a great, great American, Bobby Kennedy, Shot late in the night of June 5 at the Ambassador Hotel 50 years ago and pronounced dead early the morning of June 6 in California. Uh, and uh, this is a in the Wayback Machine, Howard K. Smith uh, giving the news that something had just happened and uh, the networks were remaining on the scene again at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. Ladies and gentlemen, we've kept the air on because we've heard an alarming report that Robert Kennedy was shot in that ballroom at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. A very loud noise like a clap of thunder was heard, a small explosion. We waited to see what it was, and then came a report that Senator Robert Kennedy was shot. Robert F. Kennedy. Boy, the world would have been so much different, as so many people said, if only, if only... When he finished that speech, he had turned to the right as he started to do to shake hands with the crowd uh, instead of being directed to, no, there are too many people here, it's too unruly, let's get out of here, let's go to the left through the kitchen uh, where Sirhan Sirhan was lying in wait. I believe Bobby Kennedy 
uh, could well have gone on to beat Hubert Humphrey in Chicago uh, for the Democratic nomination, uh, would have immediately ended the war in Vietnam and sent this con- put this country in certainly a different and a much more positive uh, direction. Bobby Kennedy, as wealthy as he was, was a man who generally cared about the poor, generally cared about working-class Americans, uh, generally cared about farm workers and African Americans. He showed that uh, in many, many, many uh, different ways. Um, a great, great loss, and boy, maybe the most traumatic, one of the most traumatic events in a very, very tumultuous year of 1968. Again, I talk about my role in that 1968 campaign uh, here in my book, From the Left, Life in the Crossfire. That wraps it up for us on this Wednesday, folks. Have a great day, and uh, come back and see us tomorrow. We'll be looking for you. This is The Bill Press Show.